You know, when we're learning about adoption, you should learn from it, from or learn about it from adoptees. Right. They're the ones that are experiencing it. They're the voices that we need to amplify. Hey y'all, Andre DeMille here, your favorite speaker and trainer, author of Is It Racism? How to Heal the Human Divide and Bunny Seeds. Together, we'll explore stories and we'll hear from folks of different backgrounds, gender, ethnicities, and sexualities. One story at a time, we can all help heal the human divide. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, y'all. I'm so excited to have part two of our inclusion adoption conversation. We have with us today, Tara Cooper. Hi. <laughs> and, and we have our producer with us, Hector Zay. Hey. hey, how's it going, guys? Good to be here. Good to, good to be on air. Yes. So if you guys called the last episode, we were we had Tara on to discuss what it looks like um, to overcome some of those biases when in and, and how to advocate, how to be an advocate for other people of color. Um, and in the conversation, it came up, you know, some of the biases from parents who have adopted kids that are a different race from their own. And Tara has some firsthand experience with this. So we've invited her back on the show to help, you know, kind of moderate and navigate some of this uncomfortability. Um, and then we also have Hector with us, who is my producer. I love him dearly. We have worked on so many projects together. If y'all need help with producing uh, books, music, podcast any shows, of, any kind of audio <laughs> engineering, uh, I will have. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll throw my plugs at the end of this one too. Yeah, so we'll we'll throw that in there. We're good. Um, but we wanted to have Hector on because he is Hispanic and also has been adopted. Mm -hmm. And November is um, National Adoption Month, and this month is um, Hispanic Heritage Month. So we thought it would be perfect to come together and kind of navigate some of the biases behind both of these subjects that you probably wouldn't think exist, but do. So I'm just going to go ahead and turn the time over to Hector, and we're going to hear his story. And, um, you know, we're going to have Tara with us to help just kind of guide and navigate some of this conversation. So, Hector, tell us your story. All right. Well, um, I guess I'll kind of just start from the beginning. Um, I grew up in rural Idaho, so I do need to put that out there. Um, particularly because when you are in that kind of bubble, especially in a rural bubble, there is a certain kind of mindset. Um, the majority of the Hispanic population that I knew growing up were blue collar workers. You know, there were there there were some who were there illegally getting paid below minimum wage, you know, really, really struggling. That that's that was something that was common out there, especially when it comes to uh, you know, agriculture. So that's something that I had a lot of, um, I, I, I got to witness a lot of that. Both of my parents, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that part in a, in a little bit, but they, uh, they came here, you know, in the eighties. So they had about how oh, like 13, 14 years to get to really know the culture here before I came into the picture and they never, they never left that little bubble, if that makes sense. So growing up, um, they what they say about uh, being blissfully ignorant, it's very true. It's it's a very true statement. Um, the way that I was raised, 
it, it wasn't necessarily a negative way as far as like, oh, you know, like there, there are bad people out there or, you know, there are people out there who are going to discriminate against you. It's just something that I had, I had to learn that kind of myself. Um, so that's kind of the, the, the first part of, you know, coming up in a rural part of Idaho where the population is the, the majority of the 2000 people that lived in that town were white. And we had maybe a population of like 50 or 100 Hispanics. So it's it's almost a close knit. It's 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 a very close knit community. But, you know, it, it had its own issues as well, too. So that that's where I came up. It wasn't until I got older. And in fact, like when when I was 14 years old, we moved to an even more rural part of the country. We moved from uh, Preston, Idaho to Honeyville, Utah, which if you are familiar with any any of that, like we we went to an even smaller town with even less Hispanic people. Um, the high school that I, I ended up going to, we were a very small group of Hispanic people, um, even even throughout college in my in my department. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But uh, but yeah, I, I always kind of saw these biases, but I never thought anything of them. And I think it's just because I was so blissfully unaware of bias at the time that it wasn't it wasn't problematic. Now, it wasn't until I started to, you know, learn more about about racial bias, um, you know, when I when I started to come into my own as a young adult and I started to see, you know, these little comments that had been, you know, thrown in a different light. You know what I mean? Like like to to be blunt, Beaner was something I heard a lot growing up. And even though it wasn't necessarily said with malice because you know the 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 majority of the people that were even throwing out like this slang didn't know the impact of it and you know if you combine that with someone who's not even aware of that and kind of like taking it as a joke as well too because I found I found it easier to cope, cope with with like humor you know what I mean so like these these kind of like little derogatory things they, uh, I just, I, I would turn it into a joke because that's, that's how I processed it. Um, it wasn't something that I really saw as a problem. Um, when, but you know, then I, I got into classical music. That's, that's my background. My background is in classical music and in classical music, uh, there are not a lot of Hispanic people in that kind of world. And I started to really see that, especially in college. I was one of three Hispanics that were, um, that had attended Weber State University, um, go Wildcats on a full tuition scholarship for the symphonic program. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm, I'm very proud of it. You should be. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's something that to me, I was very proud being one of the only, uh, Hispanic and, you know, Latino, um, representation in this program. It helped to really diversify. Now, there were, I mean, there were a couple of opportunities that I do think uh, my kind of, kind of like, you know, my situation did affect. Um, I, there, there were a few positions I was overlooked, um, you know, and we, we can, we could say, oh, well, that's because he either didn't practice hard enough or it's because, you know, he, he's, a little different. He's not what the department wants to showcase. I, 
it's, I, I don't want to say it's that, but it, I, I do think there was a little bit of that kind of bias happening. I wasn't, you know, this, this white person, um, or this Asian, the, this Asian person just the, 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 was the prodigy, right. you know, although I, uh, we all worked hard, all of us, all of us worked hard in the program. Um, you know, the bias, it, it was big here, but once we started to go overseas because I did do a couple of um, uh, uh, I did a couple of music festivals overseas mm-hmm. where once you leave the country you're an American you're not right. people don't care if you're Mexican people don't care if you're Asian people don't care if you're white um, you are an American so it, once I started to like leave the country to see what was out there that was when I was like okay there's something weird going on here like even even if it's just like micro you know like it it, it there's still a little bit of bias and you know classical music itself is kind of a very biased uh it's 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 a biased genre just well i think because people have an idea of what a classical music artist should look like right exactly that in and of itself is biased you know we've created this world it's like with cowboys america has for centuries and even still portrayed cowboys as white guys on a ranch and you know with their hat on their horse and their you know the vest and the plaid shirt and the blue jeans and the belts and blah 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 blah. and you've never seen black folks as portrayed as cowboys in and books you know none of us grew up right like we didn't grow up reading books with black cowboys. Mm-hmm. We didn't watch Westerners with black cowboys. We nope. didn't, but the black folks were the original, they're the OG cowboys. You know, it was former slaves who were wrangling the cows on the ranches who taught the white guys how to, you know, tie up the cattle and how to herd the cattle and how to steer and how to rope and, and all of that uh, during, <clears throat> excuse me, after emancipation. But you don't see that. And so I feel like, it's probably the same for in the classical musical industry. It's yes, it's similar for sure. I mean, like even even on that topic, like like keeping on the topic of cowboys, you don't see Latino cowboys when right. you think of of, of the don't. Latinos. Like, I mean, if you think of a Western movie and you mm-hmm. and you think of a Mexican person in a in in a Western movie, what do you see? Right, you see the guy wearing the poncho and the sombrero, yep. and he's toting a couple of guns. And, yeah, you know, he's he's the antagonist or cleaning up the stable or cleaning right. the st- He's the villain. Yeah. yeah or the villain. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Tara. And I mean, you know, that's not to say that, uh, you know, because what I'm not trying to say is like, oh, yeah, you know, we there there's all this stuff that's being whitewashed. You know, that's mm-hmm. not my place to say. Yeah. Quite simply. Um, there is. Though, can I say that? I do want to say that you keep excusing. Do you hear yourself excusing white people over and over again? I don't know if you realize that you do that, but I'm like every time it's like and it's OK that there's white people here and it's okay if you're LDS and it's okay. Like you keep having to excuse racism and like, this is the problem, right? That white people expect you to have to apologize for them being racist. See, I didn't even notice that I was doing that. I noticed so thank it. you for, thank over you for checking me on that. Yeah. I noticed it. <laughs> At the end of the day, it comes down to, I guess that's just how that's, that's what happens when you're raised in that. Yeah. And I can, (laughs) and I can relate to that Hector because growing up black in the South, um, my, my own echo chamber was still predominantly white. We lived, first of all, we were army brats. So very diverse Mm -hmm. on the army bases and which is where I started early childhood education. And then as we moved off base, my parents moved into a white suburb. We were only one of 
three black families in our neighborhood and one of three black families in my um, elementary school. So I, 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 I get it because I have learned I had to learn. I don't put up with that shit anymore, but I had to learn at a very young age to assimilate and laugh at the racist jokes as a way of protection and not standing out because you don't know what the consequences are. Even it's up into it's yeah, safety. for safety. I can hear that in your voice that it's like, you feel like you're not, you're unsafe if you say, yes. It's like, oh, it's just a little bit. It was just a little microaggression. Right. Like you're living racist. Well, and sometimes even blatantly racist. I remember being um, like a sophomore in college. Again, my college was predominantly white, probably 30%, maybe even 20% black. But I also played the predominantly white sport of softball, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't a basketball player or track runner and any, you know, those stereotypes. And so I was um, away overnight um, with some softball players of mine. And we went to party at I don't know, someone's house, someone they knew that was just an hour or two away. So we were out and we went go to this bar and we go to the house and these country corn fed white guys. Um, oh yeah. You haven't heard that? that oh, term. it's just like the big, thick country boys, like, like corn fed, like football players, wrestler kind of body. The homie is country fried. Where's my side <laughs> baby? Uh, yeah, ours is like, oh, you're corn fed, you know? <laughs> fed. Yeah. And that's not just white or black. That's just a Southern term for, oh, you're thick. You I know? like it. I, yeah. I like that. That's a, that, that, that almost <laughs> seems like a more positive way to say thick, you know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. Two C's, corn but fed. anyway, <laughs> carry on. So these corn fed boys, um, when they meet me, they're like, oh, hey, I have black in my family. I was like, oh, you do? Because I have white in my family. I'm, I am 17% European. My 13-year-old black son has bright blue eyes. That's not from Africa, you know? So I was like, oh, you have black in your family? Oh, yeah, they're still hanging in the family tree. You can see him. Right. What do you say to that when you're surrounded by a bunch of white people in the South and no familiarity and like, so you, ju- I embarrassingly just kind of laugh it off because I'm like, I don't want to end up in a fucking tree, you it's, know? Like, I mean, you know, what? why would you want to confront that right there? And and then right. when that kind of thing happens, it's the shock of it. Right. Because it just, it, it, it takes you aside and you just, that sucks. Like so that, Hector, like, can I, sorry, I'm going to bring it to adoption because I feel like. Thank you. No, I was oh, going to yeah, bring no, it back. Sure. Go ahead. So. Good. But this ties right in. So I'm going to ask you because a lot of adoptees, feel like they have to be very walk on eggshells when they talk about anything. And so you brought up racism stuff. Now with adoption, talking about it with like your adoptive parents, I have a lot of them that they, they feel like they always have to be perfect and they always have to like overcompensate. And, um, you know, a lot of it is like it with the birth parent relationship, if you want to find them or if you want to have a relationship with them somehow that makes them less of a parent right Mm -hmm. so adoptees are navigating this world of you know not quite fitting in one place or another and it's the same thing with the transracial stuff right if you're Mm -hmm. raised by white parents you're navigating like both worlds right so i'm going to ask you like you know do you feel like that with adoption that you feel like you kind of have to excuse certain things or laugh it off or or try to not really share your true feelings about stuff because you're afraid of offending. That's others. a good question. To uh, to 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 give you the full context, um, I'm 27 years old right now. I found out I was adopted when I was 25. Oh. So I found out as an adult. Okay. Okay. Which is, you know, I don't think it. I personally don't think that was necessarily the healthiest way to do no. it. 
Um, you know, I understand, and this is me being an apologist, I guess, um, for someone else. And I kind of understand where my parents were coming from in not telling me, but I don't, I wouldn't have done it that way. Quite Mm -hmm. simply, I wouldn't have, I would have let, I, I would have let me grow up knowing you know what I mean? Um, so right. parents, it should never be something that they remember learning. Does that make sense? It's yeah. just, uh, it's something they grew up with since they're a baby. You talk to them about it, mm-hmm. age appropriate things, obviously. And so they never have what you have, sadly, of, I remember when I was told I was adopted, right. you know, and it's like this life changing thing. It's just, this is their normal, right? Yeah. Their normal is that they have multiple parents and they, oh, okay. So you need to tell me more about this stuff. Okay, go yes. Ahead. Okay. So I grew up um, again in, in rural Idaho. There was some family in Logan, Utah, which was about 30 minutes away uh, from where, where we lived that we would go see very frequently. And the older I got, the more I realized, okay, you know, like my cousin really looks a lot like me, like my old, my oldest cousin, he is some, like it, it would start to shock me, but I didn't think anything of it. Right. Cause I was like, okay, well he's a Guadarrama. I'm a Guadarrama like that. That makes sense that we're going to, we're, we're going to look the same. Anytime I would bring it up, I remember, especially now in, you know, like looking back, it would kind of awkwardly be when, whenever I would tell my parents like, Hey, I like, you know, Antonio looks a lot like I do. What's go, what's going on with that? You know? And they're like, Oh yeah. You know, and kind of like quietly, quietly, uh, <laughs> sweep it under the rug. Now I never realized that anything was wrong. This goes back to the blissful ignorance that I had talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. That's why I made such a, a, an emphasis on that. Cause I lived a life of being so blissfully unaware of my surroundings. Something so obvious is like, okay, well, like I don't look like either of my parents. I look more like my cousin. Like what's going on with this? So I grow up, um, you know, and I've got these four cousins that are that are in my life. And then when I'm 25 years old, I had uh, I had been talking to my parents and the way it got brought up, actually, (laughs) um, I went to go tell my parents that I was going to propose to my then girlfriend, who's now my wife. And at that time was when instead of saying, oh, son, we're so happy for you. I mean, they did say that they're, they're, they they didn't, you know, go without saying that. But it immediately went into, well, you know, you you need to know now because I can see that you're at your happiest that, you know, you're adopted. And I just remember being I was like, OK, well, like, what what do you mean? And my parents are super into the Catholic Church. So I was like, OK, yeah, you're just saying that, like, you know, I'm I'm adopted from from God or whatever you want to say, you know, like it's some kind of religious analogy. And and as I looked over at my dad, I realized like and because I am such an apologist at nature, instead of just, you know, demanding more answers, the first thing I did, I hugged my mother and because she was crying as mm. she was telling me. And I told her, it's OK. My first question wasn't where am I from? My first concern was just, you know, like, oh, my God, like this woman. You showed empathy. Raised me. And at the end of the day, she is my mother through and through 100 percent. Um, it's the grateful adopting narrative that he's saying right now, which is not, is it, will you, will you explain a little bit about that? He has to be grateful for his adoption. He has to be grateful for the fact that he didn't even know he was adopted. His whole life just changed right there. And who, who is he comforting? The people that kept the secret from him. Right. Right. And so right there it's I, to protect yourself. So again, go back to things that you say to protect yourself. What were you doing in that moment? to protect yourself from the trauma that you just incurred, what did you do? I wanted to comfort 
someone else, you know, that's I'm like, yeah. uh, anyway, the shock, the shock, uh, it, it really did start to hit almost immediately. I started to ask questions. My, the, the, you know, the first thing I did wasn't ask where I'm from. I was comforting, you know, my mom and my dad. But then as soon as I had my bearings, cause I just needed like minor bearings. I was like, where did I, who, who's, who's my parents? And then they told me, and I grew up around my biological siblings. Wow. Seeing them for major holidays, seeing them for birthdays, doing things, you know, with, with the family, not realizing they were my biological siblings. And the part that I think kind of shocked me the most is that this was a very poorly kept secret. Everybody knew about it. Mm-hmm. Everybody on my on my adopted side knew, like all my cousins knew about it. Nobody, nobody broke the secret to me at all. Surprised um, it ever come out, like ever. I'm actually surprised that like someone didn't just say, you know, if they were mad at you or something, like kids do that, right? Yeah. And, like brought it up. So I'm, I'm actually shocked that no one did. Yeah. And I mean, maybe, you know, maybe my cousins, you know, gave me shit, you know, when I was when I was younger, but like I wouldn't have been aware of it because I was so blissfully unaware. I was like, you know what? No, like, I mean, it's it wasn't even a factor. It wasn't something I could comprehend. So um, I grew up around my biological my biological family. My biological mom is still in Cache Valley as well as uh, a biological brother and a biological sister. Um, And since then, we've all talked and we're all we're all on the same page now, you know, and it's kind of, it's, it, it, it was really weird when I first started to approach them and say like, look, I, I know that we're blood. Like I know that I'm your biological brother and I know that you're my biological siblings. And like that conversation in and of itself was just really just, it was, it was weird. It was an experience that I never thought I would go through, but going back to the day that I found out, um, yeah, I, got the answers I was looking for, which was, why didn't you tell me who did I come from? And like, what does this mean moving forward? And I got my answers basically. Um, and then I walked off and I called my girlfriend again, now wife, and I was crying and she's like, what's going on? What happened? I said, I just found out I'm adopted. And there was a silence that night like it it was like a 30 second just nothing nothing was said and she was like what do you mean and then I as soon as I started to explain what I'd been hearing that was when it hit me that was when the reality of it hit me and so I was on the phone with my uh with my future fiance for for about an hour and and I you know I I was emotional I I was I, I wasn't sad I wasn't angry Um, I wasn't happy. I was just emotional. I don't know how else to explain it. It was just a bunch of emotion. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after, after about a couple of weeks, I really kind of started to centralize it. And I was like, this is who I am. My life is completely different now. I'm never going to go back to the person I was before, but that doesn't mean that that person is still not me. Right. This just means that there is a different there. My family got bigger at the end of the day. Um, what I, I just, you know, to find out when you're 25 years old that your entire life is a lie almost, you know, and I mean, that might be, that might be a little melodramatic, but at the end of the day, it's not, I don't have to. And that's your truth. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's my truth. And the truth is that, you know, it was, it, it literally turned my world upside down. Tara. This is good for adoptive parents to hear though, right? That it's, 
a lot of people, when we grew up, right, adoption was more of a, a closed adoption situation. And so right. a lot of people did grow up in that um, case. So it wasn't very open, but the fact that you just like never told your child they're adopted, we want to see like as an adult, this can cause trauma. And when I say trauma, a lot of people get turned off. Same thing if you say racist, right? Where they're like, oh, oh yeah. you're saying I'm ruined or damaged or whatever. No, trauma is just an act or just something that happens to you that causes, you know, distress, right? right. And obviously being separated from your birth mom. And I don't know how old you were, but you know, that separation is trauma. Right. And yeah. it is long lasting. And people need to validate that same with racism. When we talked about with, you know, the other episode is you have to validate these experiences and these adoptee feelings. Um, You know, when we're learning about adoption, you should learn from it from, or learn about it from adoptees. Right. They're the ones that are experiencing it. They're the voices that we need to amplify. So I'm so glad that you're talking about your story today. Well, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because this episode is so interesting with all of the intersectionality, right? We have you know, his adoptive story mixed in with, you know, some of the uh, racism that you've experienced growing up, Hector, that has all intersected at different times of your life that do make up who you are. Um, And even as you and I are minorities, Hector, we would experience racism differently because of our intersectionality, right? Mm -hmm. I would experience it differently as a black female, you do as a Hispanic male, Absolutely. you know, but then there's the other layer of you would experience things differently um, and respond to folks differently because of your adoption story as well and those feelings behind it. So what I would really like to get into is really quickly, what are some of those intersectional things that have happened um, that have to do with race and adoption or maybe both, but just some of the biases that come behind you know, adoption and adoption of people of color. And like, has anything come up since Hector in your life that you've had to deal with in the last two years? Um, And then I want to turn it over to Tara also to kind of give that perspective on what folks can do when some of those intersectional biases arise for um, adoptees. Less so for, for, for being adopted. In fact, okay. In, in fact, you know, so many people were apologetic to me. And I remember the first time I told my, my uncle who I was closest to, he just looked at me and he apologized. He said, I'm so sorry that, you know, I, I didn't tell you or I'm sorry that, you know, he, he, he started to apologize. That, that's, that's what happened with the rest of my family. Um, and with, you know, my loved ones, with my friends, anytime what the way I coped with it immediately was, you know, I got to tell everybody that was how I coped with it. And, you know, if, since then it's just kind of been a fact of life. If ever, if anything, the way that I cope with it is to joke about it. You yeah. know what I mean? And, and that's when, when I can find the humor in something, that's how I'm able to fully embrace the truth. As far as, um, as, as far as, you know, being Hispanic in this kind of professional field, uh, Tara, I'm not sure if you know, but I, by trade, am a mortgage loan originator. And there is a little, there's a little bit I have encountered um, as far as, you know, like re- a little bit of bias against a Hispanic person working in finances. Right. You know what I mean? Because when people think 
of you know a mortgage loan originator or someone who works with these big these these big loan amounts they don't they don't think the mexican kid with the backwards hat right you know what i mean right so there there has been bias as far as you know i i don't think that i will really ever not see at least a little bit of bias against my race yeah um but as far as like the 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 you know the the truth of of being adopted they're really thankfully my my situation has just been it it wasn't 100% healthy but i do think the way that it has been handled has been a very adult manner yeah. uh, on my end moving and, you know, forward moving forward and yeah. at the end of the day it just it 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 comes down to okay you know um this sucks that i found out so late and i would have i think it would have been a lot different if I had known um, when I was younger, but. And your parents had that luxury though, because they were Hispanic, right? If they were white, they wouldn't have had that, I guess luxury is the wrong word, but they they couldn't like think about white parents to walk around with black children. They right. Go in right. a store without someone stopping them. Oh, is your child adopted? And they want right. to know their story yeah. and they right. want to know everything. So your parents were able to hide it because you at least semi looked like them. But when you talk about transracial adoption, yeah. you know, these kids can't hide the fact that they're adopted. So no. they get the biases more right. and that, you know, because they're adopted like everywhere that they go. Right. Yeah. Well, and we get that in our family, if this is your first time joining us, um, because, you know, we've got two black kids that the first two are black, the last three are mixed and they are very fair. In fact, my kids are I'm like, we should start releasing videos. They're like the same color as Hector, if not a little lighter, you know, Tara's met them. We've had, I have had people come up to me and say, oh, well, whose baby is that? You know, and I'm like, this is my baby, you know, and things that, uh, or assume I'm the nanny, you know. Um, and then I've even had, um, my husband took, at the time they were four and five, um, the, the mixed kids, again, they're still very fair. Um, he took them to a martial arts class on the very first day of class. And it was with someone, it was one of my husband's coworkers, who's also the instructor. And he looks at the boys and back at my husband and says, oh, I didn't realize your kids are adopted in front of my kids. And my and my husband goes, well, they're not adopted. My wife is black. He goes, oh, well, I didn't mean anything by it. Uh, you know, we've adopted. The adoption is negative. Right. Right. Like right. To hear that where it's like, oh, wait, so adoption's negative. Right. Right. And, and it's like. Okay, we understand that he didn't have malintent, and he said that like, "Oh, I have adopted kids." So even his own bias of a black friend too, I'm sure. When you're being racist, well, I have a black friend. No, right, being racist. So I'm like, you don't get to excuse by proximity. Right. My favorite is, "I'm not racist, but." But yeah. (laughs) Another um, thing that people don't think about is, um, like, I'm going to just redo this quote, and this is such a good quote. Okay, if I told you I lost my mother at birth, the usual reaction is one of sympathy. If I told you I was adopted, the usual reaction is how wonderful. It's the same thing. Mm. Mm. I just got chills again. Wow. So, oh, my hair is standing Brown Bellinger, I don't want to say your last name, but it's it's one of those things people, you know, oh, it's so great, and especially right. to adopted parents. They congratulate you on adopting. Somehow it's like this thing, and it's like, you know what? This child lost their birth family. Right. They lost a part of them. They lost a lot of things, their culture, their language. There's so many things that they can lose. Right. But, you know, if you say I lost my mother at birth, everyone's like, oh, my goodness, that's so sad. Oh, well, I was adopted. Oh, well, that's so wonderful. Why is that different? Why is yeah. that different? Um, to wrap up, I would love for both of y'all, this is, this has been 
a really interesting conversation. And I want to go on record of saying thank you, Hector, for coming on and being vulnerable with us and sharing um, those sides of who you are, both the adopted story as well as some of the racial biases that you've experienced. Um, and even your age, which I know you didn't quite touch on, but even when you said people don't expect you know, the young Hispanic guy with the backwards hat, or maybe I'm saying young in my head, but they had this look, right? So there's discrimination behind ageism as mm -hmm. well, that they would, they would think someone in finances would look more mature, right? Right. Right. right 100%. Yeah. That's what I thought you were insinuating. Um, but I just, I want to go on record of saying thank you for being so vulnerable to come on and share with our audience because I know for a fact that this segment is going to help change lives. It's going to help with healing, it's gonna aid in moving forward. Um, a, a lot of us these days uh, can't throw a rock without hitting someone who has an adoptee in their family. You know, we have them in our family. Um, it's, and some, some of it's very open where everybody knows, and for some it's very private where only the child, the parents, and the birth parents know. Um, and this is even within the family, right? So we right. have a little, bit of, a little bit of all of that, and those are not my stories to tell. Um, so I, I just want to thank you for your bravery because I know it's going to impact lives for sure um, and shed some light on, on things moving forward so people can heal and, and really help to come together. So just to wrap up, um, if you each could just share really quickly a tip, um, either on the adoption side or the racial side or both, especially if you could do both, Tara, actually because um, you do a lot with that with the work, but you know, Hector, you can choose whichever, um, but just share a tip for our audience with this whole episode is so intersectional and, and I, I would love a good nugget for them to take away. So I think um, with, as, as, as far as like the, the, the adoption side of it, the, the, the tip I can give is, you know, you are human. It's okay to feel every emotion. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be thankful. It's, it's, it's okay to go through every single emotion because I, when I found out, I was worried that, you know, if, if I got angry that, you know, that I'd be ungrateful and right. this and this and this. And no, that's just simply not the fact. I had to go through my anger. I had to eventually confront, you know, my, my adoptive parents and say, look, I wouldn't have done this this way. I would have told me much sooner. And, you know, like we, we have to move on from it because there's nothing we can do about it now. Simply there, there's nothing we can do, but you know, for, for anyone who's out there who is going through something so transformative, such as like finding out that you're adopted, you know, after, after being an adult, you know, like it's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's okay to feel it's okay to, like express those feelings. Cause if you bottle those in, that's unhealthy. That's, that's what gets unhealthy. As far as the racism thing goes, the only thing that, and I didn't get to touch on this earlier, but you know, this would have been like a three hour podcast. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's time to confront people whenever there are these little racist remarks made. Anytime that a little remark is made, um, now as an adult, I, I put a stop to it. If there's anything being said about my race, um, in, in any kind of way, I'm just, I'm not afraid to call people out anymore and say, Hey, that's, that's not okay. Firstly, you realize what year we're in. <laughs> <laughs> Secondly, you really think that something such as race should even be a factor or should be commented on. So, you know, what, what it comes down to is just, it's like you say all the time, it's, it's about healing the divide. It's about helping to 
make people be aware of some of the things that they're saying and just, you know, hoping that someday my kids aren't ever going to have to experience what racism is. Amen. Tara? Okay, so if you're just starting the adoption process and you go through and you see the two little check marks of which race or special needs that you're going to accept, I want you to really look at every single one of those boxes. And on, on the race ones, I used to think if you don't check every box, you're a racist, right? No, do not check those boxes unless you're willing to lose family, lose friends, move. I have so many of my friends that have had to literally move to other states, to mm-hmm. other, you know, cities because they're the only black child in the, you know, uh, or one of the few and they have a lot of problems. And so if you're not willing to change your life and do the work, do not check those boxes on anything, drug exposure, special needs. My next thing is to really research unethical adoption practices. Um, one good book to read is Before We Were Yours. It's a fictional book, but it's based on the true stories of Georgia Tan. If you look at Georgia Tan, she is the one responsible for our closed adoption um, uh, policies in America. Um, she was a monster. She kidnapped. She murdered. She's she's a terrible person. Um, Dr. Hicks is another one you can look up. And most recently, Paul Peterson. He was just convicted on some crimes with the Marshallese adoption scandals. Child trafficking happens through adoption. Mm. It happens in international and domestic. So don't think, oh, I won't do international because I will you know, go domestic. It happens through both. Um, look up coercion practices. You know, there's a, some good adoption agencies out there, but sadly there's more bad adoption agencies out there. So you really have to put in the work to find you know, the ethical ones, only support ethical adoption agencies. The best way for us to get uh, more ethical adoptions is to only support ethical practices, right? If we're putting money where we know that they're not practicing ethical things, then it's still going to continue. So if they're busing in people from out of state to place their children here, that is, that is unethical. Do not support that agency that is literally targeting impoverished people and women from other states and bringing them into Utah. It's not okay. Um, So that's just like tip of the iceberg stuff. If you have any questions, let me know, but that's, you know, I'm big on ethics and I'm big on, um, you know, validating actual feelings like Hector was saying, like, you know, it's okay for him to be angry. It's okay for your adoptee to be angry. Um, One more quick thing. If you do have children who are adopted, please don't share their stories. Um, It's not, Andrea just said, she she touched on that. She said, it's not my story to share. It's not my, you know, I'm not going to come in and tell you my daughter's story on here. Just the fact that I'm an adoptive mom, that's all you need to know. Um, You know, when we adopted is fine, but, you know, we don't go around asking women, did you have a C-section or was it vaginal birth? You know, like you just don't go around asking those questions. So if you're not going to go, you know, if you want to ask adoptees a lot of times get asked, oh, well, was your parents drug addicts? Like, do you go and ask anyone else that? Like, why would you think it's okay to ask an adoptee that? So just be really careful on what you ask people and what you share. So there you go. That was a lot. Thank you. That was a wealth of information. And so I know that people are going to want to connect with y'all. So real quick, Tara, where can they find you? And then Hector, especially if they want to work on loans or get some producing done, where can they connect with you as well? All right. So for um, adoption, it's United for Adoption on Facebook and Instagram. I also run a secret group that is a support group. So you'd have to be friends with me to be added to that. Um, That one's nationwide. And we just kind of keep it more private because of what we talk about. Um, You can find me on Facebook or Instagram under Tara Cooper, T-E-R-R-A. And um, like I said before, I'm happy to talk to anyone. 
and uh, my socials. Uh, if you would like any audio production stuff done, uh, you can find me on Instagram, Mestizo Audio. That's M-E-S-T-I-Z-O. Fun fact, Mestizo in uh, Spanish actually means mixed, which <laughs> that uh, after you know a little bit of my story, that kind of makes sense why I would want to go by the moniker Mestizo Audio, right? Uh, so you can find me uh, You can find me on Instagram. Uh, if you want any home loan stuff done, you can find me on Instagram as well uh, with homeloanswithhector.com or not... Well, that's my website. So www.homeloanswithhector.com um, on Instagram. It's the same uh, handle, just at Home Loans with Hector. And uh, yeah, I'd be more than happy to answer any uh, financial questions or, you know, audio production stuff. I'm always more than happy to do that. Awesome. And y'all know where to find me. If you need help with speakings and trainings for diversity, equity, inclusion, uh, business growth and mindset empowerment, you know where to find me, thewakeupstories.com. Also, I'm on Instagram, Andrea underscore D. It's A-U-N-D-R-E-A. And join our Facebook to keep this conversation going, The Wake Up Stories. Uh, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I really hope that this was impactful. I know it's changed my life, and I, I'm without a doubt uh, believe that it will help change yours as well. So until next time, we'll see you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.